0: The universe has good news for the lost, lonely, and heartsick. The sugars are here, speaking straight into your ears.
1: I'm Steve Allman.
0: I'm Cheryl Strayed.
1: This is Dear Sugars. Oh dear soul, won't you please share some little sweet days Hi, Steve. Hi, Cheryl.
0: Hi, Esther. Yes, hi. Welcome to part two of our mini-series on sexless relationships. Mm. Those of you listeners who tuned in last week heard Esther Perel talking with us, answering a letter uh, about a sexless relationship. And we're going to continue that conversation now. Let's listen to this next letter that Steve's going to read about a similar situation with some differences Written by a man.
1: Yeah. In fact, we wanted to read it to you specifically, Esther, because we know that uh, your work on intimacy directly arises from your work on trauma.
2: Yes, correct.
1: Dear Sugars, my wife and I have been married for over 10 years. We got married as 23-year-olds. When she discovered she was pregnant with our son, we had known each other for only two months. That's when we got engaged. Marriage and raising children has been rocky, but we've been in marriage counseling and continue to work hard to be loving and kind towards each other and our children. My wife is an amazing mom, beautiful friend, and an awesome school teacher. Now that our sons are older and we have established ourselves in our careers, we've been able to look up at each other and start some good, deep heart work. About a year ago, my wife said she does not enjoy sex. Although she gets physical pleasure from it, Trauma comes up for her immediately afterwards, as she experienced sexual abuse with boyfriends when she was a teen. In the last seven months, we've had intercourse once, after a fun night of dating and dancing. We've experimented with many different ways for her to feel comfortable. We've played and mixed things up. We've thrown everything at this, but we still struggle. We've been seeing a therapist together weekly for six years, and lately have shifted to every other week so we can meet individually with our own therapists as well. She's exploring the pain that has been inflicted on her with her therapist, but truth be told, this trigger may never go away, no matter how kind, gentle, safe, or loving I am. I never pressure her to have sex because I don't want to be the cause for anxiety or to bring up past trauma. I'm a monogamous person and don't want to spend my energy seeking sex elsewhere. Even with my wife's consent, it would still feel wrong to me. I know we have a deep romantic love for each other and I want to stay in the marriage without being bitter or resentful that it is sexless, but I have a strong desire to have sexual compatibility with my partner. She is my true love. Is it possible to be in a sexless marriage like this where my desires are not met without turning into a resentful husband? I'm only 34 and I hope she and I have a long journey ahead of us, but I don't know what to do about the sex thing. Do I simply say goodbye to that? What are your thoughts? Signed, faithful friend.
0: You know, this just seems to me like such a typical situation. Oh, yeah. We have so many emails in our inbox that are basically this: to people who love each other, been together for several years, have some kids, and and suddenly it's like one of them is saying, "I'm I'm out of business in the sex department."
2: No, no. I mean, I. I... I get about six or seven of those a day. Yeah. (laughs) This is a man who is longing on some deep level, is lonely. Yeah. And wants to be honorable. Last thing he wants to do is force his wife to do anything she doesn't want to do. Right. The biggest pleasure she could ever give him is to show him that she's into it. And he's wondering, is this going to be my life? Mm Mm-hmm. And... um, One of the the things I would want to say in terms of treatment is that it depends what kind of sexual trauma we're talking about, but a lot of people can heal from sexual trauma. I think that the most powerful approaches to healing people whose boundaries have been penetrated in non-voluntary ways is to have experiences of touch and healing and trust, but it has to be embodied. You need new touch on contact on the skin that is reparative and that replaces the imprint that was left on you. Hmm. And so I would go for very different kinds of therapies, especially if they've already done six years of therapy. At the same time, it's not always talking that will lead them there. You need new experiences At this time, when you see a couple like this after 10 years, they often are very stuck in the same narrative with the same sentences and the same frustrations. And what you really focus on um, is the attempt at creating a a glimpse of a completely different experience. You have to break the pattern of his wanting and her feeling bad about it not happening and trying to talk about her trauma. Maybe this woman doesn't need trauma therapy as much as she needs experiences where she's playful. Maybe she should do improvisational theater. Maybe she should do salsa, tango. Maybe she should do completely different things than delve into You know, these negative experiences, maybe that's not what's going to help her. But in fact, having new, pleasurable, playful experiences of herself as a sexual woman would be much more efficient. And that's what I would do with them.
0: Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I want to talk to you about this, you know, sort of in a larger scope. And I know I've been uh, with, with my husband. I've been in a monogamy with him for now 22 years and what we have found is and i've experienced this now several times over and over um in my relationship which is a great loving romantic relationship times when the sex has waned you know i have a, we have a couple kids and so on and so forth all the things everyone has mm-hmm. but the minute that we can step away from that feeling and back into this idea of each other as an erotic being suddenly i can go from not you know desiring him at all to feeling like absolutely hot, like lusting after my husband. And almost always that that sense of lust is connected to us just forgetting about all the times we didn't have sex, but remembering the times we did. Mm -hmm. And once we start having sex with each other, sex has its own momentum. And so, you know, I want you to talk more about that dynamic as, you know, just maybe stop talking about it and just do it.
2: It is clear to me that most often, People do not want sex from talking about why they don't want sex. It is also clear to me that for some people, doing it requires that step in between, which is to enter an erotic space. Right. And the erotic space is a space where you are more playful, when you're not busy dealing with tasks, with responsibilities, and it's a space for pleasure. That's why it's called erotic. It's a space for pleasure in which sex can happen, but doesn't have to happen, but is likely to unfold because it it opens the pathway to it. And that may mean, you know, elements of surprise, elements of discontinuity, elements of transgression. We're doing something that we don't typically do. Right. You know, we're not going to the bedroom. We're actually sitting on the couch. We're leaving the house. We're in the garage, wherever, you know, the the, the the breaking of the rules of the routine and the monotony and the institutionalization of our lives together. Yeah. And all of that leads to the doing. Mm-hmm. Right. So the doing, you know, I always say that foreplay starts at the end of the previous orgasm. <laughs> not five minutes before the what is called the real thing, that real thing that is often a rather masculine genital definition of sex. Right. And that playfulness, that seduction, that flirtation is what is so often what disappears between long-term partners. They don't do that play anymore. Right. And so the switch is kind of a bit abrupt. But if you start to get a text during the day, you know, um, wait, whatever the way that people talk to each other, you know, waiting for my queen, you know, I ordered room service for tonight, whatever, you know, <laughs> a whole host of ways that people say to each other, you're not just the person I share the bills with. Yeah. You're the right. person share, with whom I share my erotic mind with.
1: Right. So for you, faithful friend, what Esther is saying is there's no coincidence that a fun night of dating and dancing led to you're, you know, the one time you were able to have sex, that there is this sense that the erotic is partly forbidden and that need and even intimacy can be an inhibitor. That's one of the things that I really strikes me about your work, Esther, is that you talk about how growing intimacy can often stifle desire. And for you, faithful friend, you're trying to be deeply intimate with your wife emotionally, psychologically, help her heal, and so forth. And there is a paradox here because some of that, creates a situation where there's a kind of overdetermination, and there isn't as much improvisation and playfulness and erotic imagination. Um, instead, it's kind of a dutiful task that you're carrying out and it's wonderful and noble, but it also might be inhibiting.
2: Well said. So well said. And I would now ask your wife, do you know anything about what ignites your wife's sexual fantasies. When she thinks about pleasure, excitement, uh, encounter, do you have any idea of what she thinks are turn-ons? What we don't know in this letter with him is where she's at, interestingly. We don't know if she wants it to change. We don't know if she wants him to understand and to let go and to accept. We don't know if she herself feels like she's missing something in her and she would like to reclaim it for herself and i would want to know if faithful friend has a partner who actually wants that kind of very cautious a brotherly healer right. or if she actually in her sexual fantasies is thinking about something that is much more ravishing, much more energetic and much less cautious. But what she wants him to be isn't necessarily what turns her on. We are very inconsistent in those things. It's very important to understand that these two tracks don't always go neatly aligned with each other.
0: Well, we and they rarely do. I mean, as as you know us there, I mean when if you buy a a a book of erotic stories, none of them feature a man right, who's exactly. like a super good heart friend who's just like, How was your day, honey? I mean it's really to like to your it's like come on over here and bend over. I mean, there's a lot of um for me, I have to say it it took me a little while. Um, to, to accept this because I think, you know, I'm a feminist and I'm, you know, I, I, I want an equal, loving relationship with my partner, all that kind of stuff, to realize that some of my fantasies, you know, they were sort of um, contrary to you know everything else in my regular life. And I was disturbed by that. But, but what that's I've, the
2: point of it. That's, that's right. the whole point of it. Most straight couples I work with, I will typically hear the man say, nothing turns me on more than to see her turned on. Right, right. The straight man in a committed relationship is often very generous. He wants her to enjoy it. The last thing he wants is pity sex and to be serviced by someone who's just doing her duty. Right. But I rarely hear in a straight couple a woman that says, nothing turns me on more than to see him turned on. It's irrelevant. It's irrelevant how he is. If she's not into it, he can do it he can be standing in any position he wants. What turns her on is to be the turn on. Right. That's right. And to be the turn on is to mean that her sexuality is actually highly narcissistic. Mm -hmm. And the reason it is so highly narcissistic and why that is so important and so often not spoken about is because if it's narcissistic, it means she can think about herself. And if she can think about herself, it means that she can free herself from the burdens of caretaking, which are her primary social role.
1: Yes. Yeah. I, I have to say that that that's such a succinct articulation, and there's this passage in Mary Gordon's novel, Spending, that's all about a woman who's trying to reach orgasm and struggling against herself. It's kind of a punishment and affliction, and it really plays out the dynamic that you're talking about. It's only when she's able to retreat into her own sensation and her own body and her own physical needs, and com- the man completely disappears. He's actually gone by the third sentence mm-hmm. of the paragraph. That she, it's really an <laughs> internal struggle that she's right. engaged in, in which she has right. to completely essentially divorce herself from any of her other you know, duties in relation to the man in her life.
2: I do an exercise in the office very often where one person basically strokes the hand of the other and they can do it high, hard, fast, slow, shallow, circular, linear, any way they want. But the point is that while I am playing with your hand, I am in the first version completely focused on you. And I am thinking about you, what you enjoy, how you would feel about this. I am giving touch. And then I switch it. As I continue to play with your hand, now my focus moves on to me. And now it is about pleasing me at the hand of you. I use your hand for my pleasure. I am taking touch.
0: Hmm.
2: And this is one of the most powerful exercises. To show how people can actually stay inside, you know, because when you take touch, when you take your pleasure from me, it liberates me. The pleasure of knowing that someone else is enjoying themselves and I am the source of that. Mm -hmm. What more beautiful thing can you have, erotically speaking?
0: Yeah. You know, one of the things I think we're hearing in response to Faithful Friend is we think it's wonderful that you're so. Emotionally supportive of your partner. That's important, and that's not going to go away. But it's not going to solve your sexual problem. Right. You know, everyone has to heal their wounds and unpack their childhoods and deal with the things, the traumas from our past. And they do absolutely inform our sex lives. But it's also, you know, if you want to have more sex, you have to tap into the erotic life. mining for a green future five special episodes listen and follow on point wherever you get your podcasts did you kill marlene johnson i think you're one of the first people to have actually asked from wbur and zsp media this is beyond all repair
2: Be careful.
0: You're digging in a place that's been very peaceful for a while. Do it anyway. Dig. We are back, and... We're talking about the, the fun or the rather no fun subject of sexless relationships. You know, one of the things I I would like, start to hear your thoughts about this. You know, he, he writes, I want to have an erotic life. I want to have a sex life with this woman. What if she won't do it? And, you know, first of all, what I would say to Faithful Friend is, you're probably not going to be able to say goodbye to that because you are a human being and, and sex and sexuality, it's, it's part of us. It's one of our most primal needs, right? You don't want to say it's goodbye. It's not either. going to, yeah. you know, unless you're taking a vow of celibacy that you are, you know, accepting with all of your heart and mind and body and spirit, um, it's not going to work. You are going to grow bitter and resentful. Right. You're
2: a ticking time bomb. This yep. relationship
0: will end. You'll, you'll cheat, which won't feel good to you. you know, all of these different things, all these scenarios right. could play out. So what do you do, uh, Esther? What do you recommend for people who, who have tried really everything and their partner still says, nope, I'm just not interested?
2: Well, here becomes the conversation around monogamy. If you like this relationship and you feel like it is a rich, you know, multi-layered relationship that that touches so many other aspects of your life, then you ask your partner, what do you suggest we do? Now, most of the time, this man is not going to want to have sex elsewhere because what he really wants is to have the sexual connection with her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he wants it with the woman he loves and he wants the woman he loves to want him. The loneliness is not only in not having the sex, the loneliness is in the there is something about the other person not wanting right. you, not desiring you. Really, it's that's the place that he's giving up on. But at some point, he will need to tell her, this is an important part of my life. I either have it with you, without you while I'm with you, or I leave you and I have it with somebody else. There's not a multitude of options here.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what you're describing, and this is important for Faithful Friend and all the other letters that we receive for the people who feel that they, as Faithful Friend puts it, want that level of closeness that comes in sexual intimacy, but they don't have a partner or spouse who feels that way, that utter feeling of solitude. Where I think you get into trouble is if you feel you're trapped. You're in a neurotic conflict. You have to somehow make it work within the context of this relationship. And I think it's important in this conversation to include the possibility that sometimes you run out of patience. And there is a moment, I believe, where patience, forbearance, curdles into masochism and self-punishment. And if your wife is an amazing mom and a beautiful friend and an awesome school teacher, she can be all those things to you. But if she's not going to be the lover that you need, you have to at some point recognize that you do at least have the option to seek that somewhere else from somebody else by whatever rules are established as amicably as possible, because otherwise I think people get they feel trapped.
0: Well, and that's it. Let's maybe in closing, I I would like advice to couples who want to avoid getting into this sexless trap. You know, how do you keep your erotic life alive in a monogamy over many years?
2: Look, one of the biggest myths around sexuality is the myth of spontaneity. You know, after we had the sexual revolution and we decided that sex was no longer sinful, we decided that sex was natural. And by making it natural, we decided that it also was spontaneous and that it was just going to kind of come down on you like a deus ex machina while you're folding the laundry. (laughs) And the notion that it is spontaneous is, uh, is the cause of a lot of misery. Committed sex is premeditated sex. Meaning whatever is going to just happen in a long-term relationship already has. So you make it happen. And if you know that if you sit on the couch and you watch Netflix and you have your laptop and your phone right next to you, there isn't much erotic juice that's going to come from there. I like to give couples often the assignment of creating a separate email address or text, you know, but a separate channel where they cannot talk about domestic ink, Right. where they can only talk to each other as partners, as lovers, and where they really talk to each other from that place, which is exactly what people do when they are courting each other. I basically take my cues from my... Couples who are having affairs, and I'm thinking if my <laughs> right. married couples could have one percent of the of the imagination that my other couples are having, marriage would be doing really well. And the same people are doing it, of course. The right. same person who is no longer doing it in their own relationship is doing it elsewhere, so they know what to do. Yeah. So what do you do? You 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 understand that sometimes it requires intentionality the same way that i know a lot of people who don't want to go to the gym but i've never known anyone who regretted going yeah you know and so you say today i'm putting this as my priority because it's good it's important it makes us feel good it energizes me it makes me feel loved and adored and cherished and beautiful and whatever else, you don't think of it as the thing you may have to do at 11.30 at night after you've done the rest of the list, which of course never ends anyway. Right. The next thing is you don't allow yourself to leave the leftovers home. You bring the best to your friends. You have great conversations with your friends. You you are at work. You show up. You don't tick away on the phone while you're talking to your clients. But at home, you allow yourself to give kind of half attention. Why? Because the person's going to be there tomorrow anyway. Right. If you bring the leftovers home, you create deadness. The whole point of the erotic is to maintain a sense of aliveness, activity, novelty, New experiences, surprise, mystery, playfulness, imagination that is the realm of the erotic, and every couple knows to do that if it actively engages in it. and from there, when you then touch me instead of saying, oh, i'm tired," i say mm, i don't know i'm not I, I didn't think about it, but come to think of it. let's see where this takes me mm-hmm. and from that place, you maintain an erotic connection of which sometimes it's great, it's exciting, it's a production, and other times it's beautiful, pleasant, maintenance sex. And both of those create a continuous erotic narrative And you really enter that most beautiful, intimate space, which is the erotic mind of your partner. There is just very few places that are as mysterious, as incomprehensible, as as irrational sometimes, filled with contradictions as the erotic mind. That's why we have great novels that have sustained us for centuries. And the same thing can happen in a mini, mini micro version in our own relationships.
0: Hmm. Amen. Beautiful. Amen to that. Esther Perel, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us and share your wisdom yet again. Yeah,
2: It's a pleasure for me to be with you again. Thank Thank you. you. All right, take care.
0: Bye-bye. Okay, listen. I
1: love her. And I know know you have a
0: big crush on her, Steve, but just simmer down, buddy. Well, hold
1: on. Now, hold on a second. I'm (laughs) I'm not not, going to simmer down because I I think all of our listeners don't want to simmer down. We want to stay in the mystery and the depth and the beauty and the...
0: It's beautiful. And she's... What I love when we talk to her and, and other guests like her, when you hear the ring of truth, you you know you're hearing it. Right. And I do think that there are all kinds of reasons we all have uh, to, you know, say, oh, sex is hard, uh, you know, in a long-term monogamy. There are all these uh, things you've got to battle against and you've got to somehow, you know, be- deal with people's past traumas and anxieties and yet really... What we need to do is put that stuff aside and realize that sex is a part of life. It's a primal call for all of us and that we're going to be happier if we make space for it.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. I believe there's nobody, if you gave us an honest survey, who says, I'm just absolutely 100% happy with how it's going and feel connected all the time. I always feel like I'm getting enough. I think that's nonsense. That doesn't exist. It's as mythic as the idea that sex is spontaneous, that it happens out of the blue, that it's the purest expression of our efforts to get close to people. All of those, it's more of a paradox than it is a problem. And it's a paradox that really we kind of end up managing. Mm -hmm. But I think it's also very important to recognize you have a right to be desired and to have your desire reciprocated, that is something that you're worthy of, at a certain point you have an obligation to yourself, to your one and only life, to your body, to your erotic imagination, to find that somewhere in your life.
0: Hi, listeners. This is actually the last episode of the season, but we'll be back with new episodes of Dear Sugars in just a few weeks. See you then. Dear Sugars is produced by the New York Times in partnership with WBUR. Our producer is Michelle Siegel. Our executive producer is Lisa Tobin. And our editorial director is Samantha Hennig. We record the show at Talkback Sound and Visual in Portland, Oregon. Our engineer is Josh Millman. Our theme song is by Liz Weiss. And other music is by the Portland band called Wonderly.
1: Find us at nytimes.com slash dearsugars. And please, we beg of you, send us your letters at dearsugars at nytimes.com. That's dearsugars, plural, at nytimes.com.